Hey there, entrepreneurs. Before we jump in, I have an exciting announcement to make. So I am launching right after the new year, a six-week small group coaching program, and it is designed to help you release this crappy 2020 and jumpstart your income-making potential in 2021. Now, let me just give you the quick skinny on this, but then you can visit the website, which I'll give you the information for too. So this program is perfect for you if you want to confidently kick off 2021 with a plan for success, because who doesn't want to do that? And you'd like to heighten your visibility, set yourself apart from the noise while increasing or diversifying your revenue streams in 2021. And also guys, if you have big dreams and you just need a little bit more support, you do not want to miss this program. I'm really excited about it. I'm really proud about it. We're going to be covering everything from strategic goal setting to, you know, tactical strategies like Facebook groups and podcasting, of course, affiliate partnerships, so much stuff all packed into a six week course at a pretty damn good price. If I do say so myself. So if you would like to learn more about that, visit createhonesty.com slash jumpstart. That is createhonesty.com slash jumpstart. And right now I am jumping in with the fabulous Sue Izzo. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? Whew, I completely get it. Because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs, and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. everyone. I am so excited to welcome Sue Izzo to the show today. I was introduced to her by a mutual friend, and I have to say that um, I could probably talk to her for hours. You know, I love her story. I just love her personality. But just let me give you a little bit more background about her before we jump in. She is the former female Jerry Maguire, and she founded her sports agency in her fifth grade bedroom at age 25 with zero dollars and no idea what she was doing, which, you know what, I got to say the best stories come out of that. So <laughs> she's represented professional action sports athletes, you know, Winter Olympians, X Games, gold medalists, TV personalities. She has, you know, she's built athletic brands, co-founded multiple businesses, created an executive produced TV programming for NBC, ABC, ESPN, Netflix, and executive produced events, event properties such as music festivals, surf and snowboarding events. Um, she is a breast cancer survivor. And you will see on this episode, one of the main reasons I brought her on here as well is that she is very honest about her lifelong journey with depression, you know, especially alongside building this amazing company, which, you know, she sold it after 17 years of working, you know, and she sold it to a major sports management firm. So in just a little bit of tidbit, do not ever ask her to pack a car that is in her bio <laughs> as well. Don't ask her to pack the bag of a car. 
Um, you know, but she can cook a mean Italian meal for you. And if you don't find her working, she will be volunteering with the Laughing Pony Horse Rescue. And also, I just want to jump in and give you a congratulations. We were just talking about it on your most recent award that you received too. So tell folks about that too, because I don't want to mess it up. Sure. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Um, yes, I was recently uh, on, um, been the honoree for the Women in Sports and Events uh, organization. It's called WISE. It's a national organization. And um, I'm being honored for being the woman of inspiration this year for the San Diego chapter. And it is a massive honor and a total shock. And um, I'm just so humbled by it. So thank yeah, you. you're welcome. You're welcome. And folks, as you hear her story, you will understand exactly why they chose her because, you know, when I, when I saw that come out on Instagram, I was like, well, that's a no duh. <laughs> like it just seemed really obvious to me, um, you know, how much of an inspiration you are to folks, especially in a male dominated industry that you came out of. So why don't we jump right in? I, I want to stop talking and let you kind of tell the story Give us that throughput of how you built the company, your journey with mental health, breast cancer, just, just start talking about it all. <laughs> sure, sure. So, um, you know, when I was applying to go to college, uh, I was a deadhead and I just really wanted to follow the Grateful Dead at that point in time when I was 18. And um, I didn't have a major, but my mother told me that I should be a school teacher because then when I got married and had kids, I'd have the summers off. Um, I'm not married. I have no kids. Um, and I definitely don't have the summers off. Um, so what happened was, when I was in college, I actually fell in love with a snowboarder and I didn't know what that was. And he led me to Burton Snowboards where I, you know, dove into the entire snowboarding world and ended up working at Burton Snowboards in Vermont and learning about sports marketing and um, sponsorships and professional athletes. And um, fast forward a couple of years and um, I was kind of interested in so many different things. I loved PR. I loved marketing. I loved writing. Um, I love sales and I couldn't really find a job that fit all that. And I fell under, um, a gentleman who was a sports agent. I didn't know what sports, what a sports agent really was. He took me under his wing for about six months and I worked with him and he said to me, you know, you're really good at this. You should be a sports agent. So with my elementary education degree and psychology degree, <laughs> uh, I decided to start a sports management company in my fifth grade bedroom in my parents' house. Um, and I focused on representing professional snowboarders because that's kind of where I started. So that was in 1999. And um, my parents were just shaking their heads. They had no idea what I was doing. Definitely not supportive in any way, you know, at all. And um, it was very much self-taught and by my gut. Um, it just kind of was putting two and two together of what made sense to me and what I knew um, in order to um, find athletes and get deals. I just love that. I, lo I love the fact that you're following your instinct, right? Because I, I was just having a conversation with somebody earlier who, you know, they were, they were saying how for so long they had shut their instinct down you know, or it was just too noisy that they couldn't hear it. And if they had been able to hear it, you know, 20 years prior, it would have saved them a lot of pain along the way. Maybe not completely a lot of pain, but at least a lot of indecision when it came to things like that. So bravo, bravo for, you know, going against the grain and jumping in on your own. There's so much beauty in being naive when you're young, right? I mean, yes. I didn't have anything, so there was nothing to lose. And, um, I was born with confidence. I always say I'm the most insecure, confident person I know. <laughs> uh -huh. Because I would get on the phone and, you know, back then there wasn't LinkedIn. So 
to figure out who, you know, who I needed to contact to pitch my athletes to, to get an endorsement deal. It was like a little bit of detective work. So I had my little gateway computer and I knew that, I knew that, you know, press releases always had the, um, the email address for the company. Right. So I would then Google like marketing director for the company. And then I would take the press release email address for format. And then I would email the marketing director and be like, my name is Sue Izzo with the global sports management agency, mosaic sports management. And we represent world renowned, you know, athletes. And I was in my fifth grade bedroom, literally (laughs) pimping in the mornings and like coming home and working on mosaic in the afternoons. And I just BS my way through it. But I believed so much in my clients and their potential that it was easy to bullshit. You know, it was easy to just like promote them and, and, you know, create this bravado and um, sell them. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. I just, I love it. I love, I just love that because I think sometimes, you know, there's that terminology and I used to hear it a lot in the entertainment world too, is like, you got to fake it till you make it. Right. And some people are like, no, don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but there is a bit of a game to it. And if you don't take the risk and if you don't make the leap, like it's not to say that your, your clients were kick-ass. So it's not like they weren't worthy of doing business with these people, but you do need to get through the gatekeeper in order to make those connections. Right. Yeah. And I think it comes down to no is just no, Mm -hmm. a personal attack. No. It's a no for now. That's how I always looked yeah, at it. Too. Right. Or, you know, maybe I caught him on a bad day, you know? So it was, you know, again, I had nothing to lose, um, yeah. in that regard. So, you know, Good. learning that early on and really embracing that was just, just no for now. Like that was game changer for me for certain. Yeah. And then when you look at it, then it becomes like a numbers game and almost like a game of like, oh, you said no, bring it on. Like, let's go. <laughs> like, you know, to, and for me, and I know a little bit for you too, like it just drives you more when oh, you yeah. hear it. You're like, you said no, mm, we'll see about that. <laughs> I mean, again, like give me a hater and that will like elevate me and push my game tenfold. I love that. I love that. So, I mean, how was it? How was it building that, that company? I mean, it's a male dominated industry. Like you said, you were learning trial by fire lots of personal stuff, different, all different things going on. So talk to us more about the journey on that. Yeah. It could have been any harder. I mean, not only was mm-hmm. I a female sports agent, but I was one of the only females that owned an agency. Right. So, um, it was, you know, kind of developing that thick skin, um, and, you know, fending off. I mean, here's the thing, I'm, you know, I'm just going to be totally honest. Like, there's golf games, there's, you know, um, guys going surfing, there's, you know, there's all these activities that they would almost try to, you know, exclude me from. So, but luckily I had a father from a young age that, you know, taught me all these sports. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I really had to like, you know, I would elbow my way in, um, you know, a lot of times too, you know, that, that whole thing of, you know, I'm a hundred percent Italian, I'm a Leo. So passion is just, who I am and emotion too. So, you know, that's difficult because when you're in a room negotiating and fighting for your clients, you're perceived, or I was perceived as emotional or over emotional or what have you, where a guy's like tough negotiating. Right. right. Very double standard. Yeah. That was real. That was real. And um, so I had to learn how to beat people at their own game, um, which is the beauty of negotiations, which I truly love. I mean, 
I think you can enter negotiations and absolutely look for a win-win for each other. But then sometimes, you know, ego is so big um, that you're dealing with that it comes, you know, it was kind of like a bait and switch, making them think one thing was important when I really wanted the other thing and, you know, their own game. So there were men that were so supportive of me, Bob McKnight, uh, the founder of Quicksilver. We met early on. Um, He was just an incredible support to me, Fernando Aguirre, who was the founder of Reef Footwear, another huge supporter of me. So there were guys that were, you know, in my corner and definitely helped, but there was a lot of, you know, men doubting me and people doubting me, not just men, but, you know, who was this girl from Connecticut that started a, you know, sports management company that didn't come up in that world? You know, there was a lot of that, but I... I believed in, in really taking care of my clients and I'm a firm believer of you have to be the best person in order to be the best professional. So that's what kind of my niche and that's what got me through and Which helped all the sharks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, it speaks volumes to you because you are playing the game. And I think anybody, anybody who goes into to your point in negotiation, which is meant to be a two-sided conversation. Like you, you need to understand the strategy behind it. You need to understand the person sitting on the opposite side of the table. And that ego is a thing. Therefore, you know, it can be used in that negotiation to your point. Um, you know, so, and I think as a woman, you're, you're spot on saying like, you're either too emotional, you're not emotional enough. Like there's always going to be one or the other. So you might as well just use, use what you got to go after folks for your clients. And I'm sure they, I'm sure they greatly appreciated it. Absolutely. I mean, as long as you do your homework and you have your facts and your stats and your point, you know, valid points of view, it's okay to be emotional, but if you're just strictly emotional, you know, without that stuff, yeah, that's, that's going to be a problem for anybody. Right. Exactly. And they won't, they won't hear, they won't hear the intelligence if you're leading this on some levels with the emotion. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing. Again, like I'm sure, I'm sure your clients were, were over the moon to have you, to have you sitting at the table with them because, because you are kind of that, that best of both worlds where you do have that emotional intelligence, but you also have, you know, kick-ass, like just, just intelligence in general about navigating all of those things in that industry as a whole, which can be cutthroat, which can be, you know, chauvinistic, all of the different things that go with that. So, you know, bravo to you. So, I mean, what do you think when you're in that either personally or professionally was kind of the biggest, I mean, and there are a lot of them, it sounds like challenges, but for you, like what was the hardest, hardest part about it all building that? Building the company. Um, gosh, you know, it's funny. There are two things that were tough. Um, one was personal in terms of having this, like, you know, in a way, a chip on my shoulder of like having to prove myself and having to do it all on my own. And that was my own enemy that I carried. Um, so that was, that was tough for me personally. And I learned a lot from that and, you know, how to evolve from that. And then in terms of, you know, growing the business itself, you know, I couldn't compete on the money side with the larger sports management companies that could take athletes to like, you know, fly them on a private jet or take them to crazy events or, you know, all of that. That wasn't me. I was a boutique sports management company. So, right. you know, I really had to deliver um, on the personal service and the cultivation of the athlete. And so that was finding that and figuring that out, you know, early on was really important. Um, and like I said, finding the people that, you know, championed me. I mean, it's, it is hard. It's, I didn't have, 
um, I didn't have, and this was, you know, a big thing. Like I, my self-worth was completely based on the outcome of my business. So there wasn't any other balance in my life in terms of having family or having, you know, a partner and any of that stuff to balance out, um, you know, the, the worth part for me, which was, that was tough in building a business. Yeah. I mean, and, and I know you and I have had conversations on this before too. I mean, I would love, love for you to share a little bit about that kind of disconnect or that connect rather, however you want to look at it between, you know, the way that you view yourself, the way that you view your life versus, you know, I'm sure, you know, I mentioned earlier when we were talking the story that you had told me about, you know, standing at the Olympics and the disconnect mentally that you had when you're standing there watching your clients receive medals at the Olympics, you know, and how your worthiness what, what was it like on that day? Just, just take us through that story. Cause I think it speaks sure. I mean, volumes. You know, I, I started dealing with depression from a young age. I mean, I was 11, 12 years old. So this was something that, you know, wasn't just in my adult life. So, you know, my self-worth was, like I said, was very much attached to my outcome. Um, but there was this part of me that no matter what, and I think we all go through this a lot in business is, the I'll be happy when, or I'll be successful when, right? So Mm -hmm. we keep, we get to, we set a goal, we get to that goal, but is then all of a sudden we're not happy yet or we're not deemed successful yet. So we got to go to the next one. And I got into that pinnacle point of like, I wanted Olympic athletes and then like want athletes that meddled and, you know, I'm getting there and all of that, but there was such a emptiness and self-hatred inside. I didn't realize how much I didn't like myself, um, which is crazy because, you know, I would go into a room and, you know, I have a big personality, but literally be plotting, you know, how I was going to go home and take my life, like thinking to myself, all right, I'm in Colorado right now. My athletes just won all these medals at the X Games. I'm networking with like the who's who in business. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm, you know, if I, if I kill myself here in Colorado, how is my family going to get my body back? Like, that's going to be really hard for them, you know? And I'm like having a conversation with like, you know, the director of marketing for Hewlett Packard and thinking this at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, that was a hard, hard thing. And I think that, you know, a lot of people didn't know it, you know, obviously they didn't know it because- right. For me, I kept it so close to the chest because, you know, I felt like, oh, that was a weakness, right? Like, God forbid anyone knew I suffered from depression or lived with depression, I'd be perceived as weak. Then they'd come take my clients and then nobody would want to sign with me, you know? So it was this awful hamster wheel to be on. Yeah. I think, and I think you see that a lot in people that are, that are super successful, right. Especially because when they, when the correlation between like genius and mental illness are very fine line between the two. Right. So, but that, that level of shame that went with it. And I, I can guarantee, I know I have had conversations similar to what you just described, where it's that dueling agenda in your head. And I'm sure our listeners, somebody out there listening has had, you know, a similar instance where, you know, on the surface, you're kicking ass, right? But to your point, it's, you can't be tied fully to, to the outcome of something because the outcomes you have no control over 90% of the time. Um, so, I mean, how did you, what did you do to get yourself kind of out of that headspace or, you know, you know, any, oh. anything you want to tell with, tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, gosh, well, let's think about this for a mm. second. Um, I, you know, 
it was a long road. It was a long road of figuring this out. I mean, first and foremost, you know, having dealt with depression from a young age, that was like in the eighties and nobody really, obviously nobody talked about it. When I was in middle school, talked about it. I was going to a psychiatrist, but no other kid was going to a psychiatrist. Right. Like, um, and then as I got older, I remember I was 35 years old. I was at the peak of my career. I mean, things couldn't have been going any better. Um, and I attempted suicide and I remember, um, you know, my business was booming and I was like, okay, you know, it was like a group discussion of like, am I going to go away to treatment or what am I going to do for this? And I decided, um, like my team kind of decided let's do an outpatient therapy program here in San Diego. And I remember going into that and sitting in that room and all of a sudden I look around and there's men in suits and there's women my age and I'm sitting there and it was at the age of 35 was the first time in my life that I met anybody else like me going through what I went through. And that was like, it took me that long to not feel alone and realize like, you know, okay, like other people are building businesses and dealing with this too. It's not just me. Um, You know, and so that was like a, that was a game changer for me, a huge game changer and really helped me, um, you know, because I did feel alone in that for my whole life, I felt alone with depression and, and dealing with that because it wasn't like it is today. No, there, weren't commercials, there weren't radio ads. It wasn't online therapy groups, like it didn't exist. Um, so that was, that was huge for me. And, and then learning tools, right? I mean, I think, you know, I always talk about tools and I, I did this with my athletes for years, teaching them tools on how to be an amazing athlete and yeah. a great person. And so for me, it was learning the tools of, of how to stop you know, the negative thoughts or, you know, what I always say, like put the pause button on it. Right. Right. Learning how to identify, you know, what's a thought and an emotion and what's the truth and what's Mm -hmm. a fact, right. Because we have these thoughts and believe that they're, you know, absolute when they're not, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. a a thought or an emotion. Um, So that was massive in terms of, you know, not making these sweeping generalizations about I'm a failure. Well, yeah, maybe that one deal didn't go through or my athlete got injured and almost died. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm a total failure. No. Maybe that one thing didn't work, but it doesn't mean all of it sucks. Yeah. You know, so it was those little things and building that toolbox. And, you know, that was that was massive um, learning that. But then, you know, as you go on, it's not only obtaining the tools, that's good and wonderful, you got to pick them up too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I mean, and I, and I 110% agree with your, the, especially the tool around speaking in facts, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have a, I have a coach who will ask me and, you know, I ask my clients, you know, is it true? You know, that is the number one question, especially from a mental illness perspective, because I've been in those similar shoes where you have to say like, when you're having, especially like suicidal ideations or anything like that. And again, we're not doctors here, but speaking to spoken as people have gone through it. Like you have to have that tether to reality, um, in order to not make a mistake, um, that could have permanent consequences. And then I think that's just good business too. Like the crossover of it, like you said, like one bad deal does not make you a failure, you know, it makes you learning your way through it. And I think I was listening to, um, 
a podcast the other day where it was talking about differentiating between like being a failure and having a failure, you know, and really walking that fine line and detaching from the outcome of it and knowing that not everything's in your control. And, but to your point, utilizing those tools as you go through, because correct me if I'm wrong, the more you use them, the more they just become ingrained in you from a mental. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so easy to bury self-care. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I just, I wanted my athletes to have everything. And I was relentless in that. Yeah. I worked 24 seven, you know, every single day, my phone was in my bedroom. Like there was nothing that I wouldn't do for them. And I went above and beyond what I should have ever done to be dead honest with you. Yeah. It was ridiculous how involved I was in their lives. And, um, it was my own doing and it is what it is. I don't regret it. I did it. Um, but in that process, I never, I forgot to take care of me or, you know, for that matter. I mean, I just didn't. And I was really just living for their success and the success of my business. Um, yeah, I definitely, you know, when I, after my suicide attempt, I remember sitting there and being like, what makes me happy? And I couldn't think of anything. I mean, the only thing that made me happy was success and getting a deal or my athletes achieving their dreams. And I had to go back to like thinking about when I was younger, what made me happy. And and I was an avid tennis player. And I was like, I'm going to go take tennis lessons. I don't need tennis lessons, but it was, I just remember I was always happy on a tennis court. So signed up for lessons. The instructor's laughing at me. He's like, I have no idea why you're here. I'm like, I'm here for happiness. And it was the baby steps of figuring out what joy felt like again, what happiness felt like and making sure to sprinkle that into my life. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't as simple as that. It was a process, but I'm a, I have to do everything through baby steps. Otherwise forget it. I get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So it was just, you know, again, and that's kind of how I started coming through that, um, you know, at that point in time, you know, it was not, it wasn't a one and done, uh, but all of a sudden I went to treatment and then I was fine. You know, it was, there was another, you know, when I was 39, there was another, um, time in my life that I had to really hunker down and deal with it again. Um, but you know, again, I just believe in, I truly believe I've been through a lot of what I've been through in life in order to help others. Because the minute that I started talking about this and being verbal after so many years of hiding it, because I thought it was a vulnerability or a weakness, I could not believe how many people were at, you know, executive level, CEO level kept saying to me, oh my God, Susan, I can't believe you too, me too. Like, and it was just like, wow, this door has like just been locked and it's so unfair for people who are building careers and building success to feel like they can't ask for help or feel alone and not talk about this. Like it really made me mad Um, because people are, you know, a lot of people I, you know, have in my life, they're incredible human beings and I don't want to see anybody suffer, you know, when they don't have to or feel alone for that matter. Yeah. And I think sometimes as a leader, right, there, there are a different set of expectations placed upon you, right? You're supposed to be a certain thing. People visualize you as a certain thing. You don't want to crack the mold because then that may impact your, you know, your bottom line or the money or your family, or they're so the stakes just seem a lot higher, you know, especially when you are a role model, you know, that, and that weight of 
disappointment, <laughs> you know, feels a lot fucking heavier when you are leading a company, you know, to be able to say, oh guys, sorry, I'm human. And I have these intense feelings, you know, feels like, you know, you've almost disappointed everybody around you. But I love the fact that number one, that you actually asked yourself what makes you happy. Cause it, it blows my mind, the amount of people or clients or whoever it will be that I ask that and the blank stares that I receive. Um, mm -hmm. and it doesn't even necessarily have to do with the depression thing. I think it has to do with somewhere along the line with adulting. We didn't yeah. think that was important anymore. And you know, there has to be equal weight on the positive and the negative, you know, from both sides. Like you said, you can't shame and lock the negative in a closet, but you also can't forget about the positive. I mean, both need to equally exist in this world to your point. And I think that's, that's beautiful that you're, you know, letting both sides out of the box per se. Absolutely. And I think too, like it's recognizing the stories we hold on to, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm a child, my father was an alcoholic and, you know, bad things were said to me and I believed them. Yeah. You know? Cause and, you, what else are you going to do when you're a kid? Like that's, that's right. what you do. Yeah. And you're just like, you, you make it your story and yeah. recognizing that and being like, Oh wait, like we were saying, like, wait, that's not true. That was someone put that on me. Um, and learning how to let that go, how to rewrite your story, um, recognizing what thoughts are serving you, which aren't, you know, or not like getting rid of that stuff. Um, you know, it's all part of the, the tools, right? And yeah. gosh, when you, when you finally recognize that and you unload those stories and these things that you thought were truth, you feel so much lighter. And it yeah. opens up, like, not to sound too woo-woo, but it's like, it just makes space yeah. for more good stuff to come in, right? And right. Um, it's been beautiful to see you know, what I perceived as the definition of success when I built Mosaic in those 17 years and what my definition of success today at 46 is. I mean, right. it's just, so, I was laughing with another female agent um, the other day and we were just laughing, we're like, Remember when we were in our thirties and like, it was the Louis Vuitton handbags and our Porsches and, you know, just the jewelry. Like, I mean, we had every toy and fancy thing you can possibly imagine. And now we're laughing. I'm like, all I want to do is be in my ranch clothes, volunteering with my horses. Like yeah. I'm more comfortable in my cowboy boots than I am in any Louis Vuitton. And she's laughing because she's wearing yoga pants all the time. And it's like, awesome. you know, we're like, who are we? Like, who are we? This is like totally changed over 20 years, but it's, it's wonderful. But it's an evolution, right? Okay. You know, I mean, you, a lot of people have, I've heard people say like, oh, I wish we could have just skipped that period and fast forwarded to this. And I'm like, no, no, that doesn't work that way either. Because, you know, you wouldn't have been able to appreciate the you that you are today if you didn't have the comparison from before. And it's, it's funny. It's, it's just really funny when you say like the Louis Vuitton bags and all that. And I remember when coach was huge and, and I, similar to you, I remember like getting the bags and like my family all had the bags, my girlfriends all had. And I was just kind of like, I don't understand this, but sure. I'll get the bag. Isn't it pretty? Like, you know, um, whereas, yeah, I'm with you yoga pants and just being comfortable and myself. Well, I think when you don't grow up with that, you know, that's, and, and I feel, so, I do feel bad for the kids of today that live on social mm -hmm. media, TikTok, Instagram, and, you know, they're looking at these 
influencers or role models and it's not real no, right it's not. like i i thought when i had all that stuff i was going to be happy and i got it all i got it all and i was trying to kill myself yeah. so yeah you know, it's i i feel that again it goes back to the feeling of joy and what joy is um that matters most and yeah you're right like we have to go through stuff in order to know i always say to people like I needed to be depressed to know what happiness was exactly, right? or know what happiness in order to know what depressing depression was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in a, in a weird way, it goes hand in hand, but it's just not staying in it, which is the important part. Right. right. And understand that no feeling is permanent, you know, exactly. when you're, when you're in that. So, I mean, let's circle back, let's circle back to the business stuff, right? Because yeah. you ended up selling your company and, you know, there was a whole other chapter that we haven't talked about here yet either, um, yeah. breast cancer and everything else. So talk us through kind of that, that snippet of your sure. life. So, um, you know, in 2009, I had an opportunity to sell my business um, to actually the same sports management company that actually ended up buying it years later. Um, my athletes were at the top. I was going into the 2010 Olympics with five athletes that were going to take sweep the medals. Um, beat Sean White, who was like the big snowboarder mm -hmm. at the time. My two snowboarders were hands down going to, you know, beat him. Um, and, uh, I remember my ego got in the way of the deal because I was like, oh, I think I could still build this further. And, you know, um, and I really just, I didn't take the deal. And yeah. right before on New Year's Eve, um, my snowboarder, Kevin Pierce, uh, who was one of the favorites to get gold in uh, the Vancouver Olympics, um, suffered a traumatic brain injury. And it was absolutely devastating. I didn't know if he was gonna survive. Um, got on a plane immediately to Utah where the crash happened. And um, he was practicing for the Olympics and, um, over rotated on a trick in the half pipe and landed on his head. And um, it was devastating. And uh, then 17 days later, Danny Davis, um, Kevin and Danny were best friends, both going for the Olympics. Danny um, ended up in an ATV accident. Holy shit. And so here I had built my company up, you know, 10 years and was at the pinnacle and being featured in major sports publications and all of that. And all of a sudden, you know, within a blink of an eye, two week period, my, my business like crumbled and yeah. be, being the agent, everybody wanted to be and have, you know, all these athletes to everyone being like, Oh my gosh, Sue's cursed. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <literally>. yeah. <laughs> Sounds it like from that, I can understand that PR nightmare going along with that. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was emotionally very hard because I loved these two boys so much and to watch their families and watch them go through this was absolutely devastating. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned this story because, you know, here my ego was that I had the opportunity to sell the company before these accidents happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it also was devastating to the business because there had to be an entire reinvention because I ended up you know, losing Kevin, he survived, but he ended up leaving my agency and going to a bigger agency. Um, and then, you know, Danny had to work really hard to come back, which he did and ended up going to the Russian, Russia Olympics and wow. incredible. He's just a whole nother story. So, you know, it was this roller coaster ride. And um, through that, about two years, 
right after, I guess it was 2013, um, you know, my stress levels were kind of going through the roof. I ended up with another really bad bout of depression. Um, and I recall I sold, I sold the company uh, in 2015, in May of 2015. I had decided that, you know, I'd been through a ton. I went through the Vancouver Olympics. I went through the Russia Olympics um, and I was really burnt out. And I was also seeing the writing on the wall with the action sports industry and deals were drying up. And I had an opportunity to once again, sell to the same company. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm just going to focus on a couple athletes. I'm going to sell the surf division and some other athletes, you know, merge yeah. them with uh, this company octagon, um, who represent, they represent like Michael Phelps and all those guys. And, um, I did the deal and that was May and I was like, okay, I'm going to slow down a little bit and yeah. you know, I'm just going to focus on two clients and all of this. And then I was laying in bed one night and, uh, I just was laying on my back and I had my right arm behind my head. And for some reason, I still don't know to this day, I just put my, my left hand by my breast, my right breast and by my armpit. And I found this like hard lump. Yeah. And I happened to have a gynecology appointment um, a few weeks, you know, around that time. And I pointed out to my gynecologist and he said, oh, you know, they, you know, you're too young. I was 41 years old. They're like, we don't, you know, I don't think that's breast cancer. Just come back in six months and get it checked. So I got a mammogram. I went back. He said, um, oh, that, you know, it's suspicious, but you know, again, you have no family history. You're young. And I said, well, let's, how about we get a biopsy on it? And you he, think? Fought yeah. he fought me on it. Um, and I pushed. And so I went in for the biopsy and I was on the table getting it and the, the doctor surgeon was doing it. And he's like, listen, I've done a million of these, right? You know, and I could tell you right now, it's not breast cancer. I'm like, okay, cool. And I remember he walked out of the room and I got up and again, I don't know why I did this, but I got up and I walked, they had the, the, like the, um, the film on the computer. And I took a picture of the mask on the computer and I left and um, five days later, uh, I called my gynecologist and like, did the results come in? They're like, oh, he went on vacation. He'll call you on Monday. And I'm like, you're like, thanks. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not dying over here. Like no. I'm freaking out, but that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not waiting. So no. I went down to the imaging place and I was like, can I get my results? And you know, I've done that before. And they were like, yeah, just take a seat. And like two minutes turned into five minutes and five minutes turned into 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden the door opened and they're like, Mrs. O, can you come back here? And I was like, I knew right then and there. And the radiologist was um, standing there and she's like, have you talked to your doctor? And I just looked at her, I go, it's breast cancer, isn't it? And she's like, yes. And I was like, okay. So um, here's the thing about cancer in my life. I've dealt with a lot of family members and friends who passed away from it. I've always felt not to be pessimistic, but it was just kind of one of those things where I was never like, it's an if, it's a when, because right. I saw it in so many types of people. And I was by a lot of people's bedsides, helping them cross over and, you know, making sure that they held their dignity in their last days. And right. so when I was diagnosed, it was, you know, I went into business mindset. Okay, what's our checklist? What do exactly. we gotta do? Exactly. Right? What's the next steps? Yeah. What's the next step? Yeah. What's our work next schedule on this? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was fortunate, found an amazing, you know, oncologist who 
was very cool about Eastern and Western medicine. Um, you know, the first month of diagnosis is really scary. You know, I think that you feel like you're going to die from this. Right. And so you want to jump on it right away because you just want cancer out of your body when that's really the time that you should be, you know, kind of doing your research and having a lot of conversations and figuring out who you want your team to be. Um, so yeah, so I was diagnosed in September of 2015 with, um, stage two, uh, triple positive breast cancer and went through four months of chemo, um, lumpectomy and 33 rounds of radiation. And then a few more months of chemo after that. And then finished treatment in about October, November of 2016. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was like a big mouthful, but, um, yeah. So that was, you know, a part of, you know, when I talked to the oncologist, two different oncologists asked me what was going on in my life two years prior to my diagnosis. And that's when my depression had reared its head again. Um, I actually went into an inpatient program at that time. I like decided myself, I said, I've gone through all these therapies and had therapists and did outpatient. So I'm going to go check myself in, but my stress was at such a high level and my self-loathing was at such a high level. Um, and both oncologists, you know, said, they're like, you know, you, you, not that I did this to me, but they were just like, you know, stress could have definitely contributed to this. Um, and, you know, when I think back to it, I, you know, I think they're, they're, they're right, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. It was an interesting, interesting few years from, you know, two years to through the diagnosis, through the treatment. Yeah. And I mean, that's an interesting line to walk too, because we all, I think, especially as, you know, more stuff comes out about cancer and diseases and inflammation in your body and, and the role that stress plays with it. It's a very fine long line to walk with not self-blaming throughout that. Right. Because I mean, you do the best you can with what you've been given. And what's the quote, like when you know better, you do better. Right. So, I mean, I commend you for not, you know, not letting that self-blame you know, derail you even more, you know, cause I imagine it could have, but also I love, I love hearing your story because, you know, the universe has a, has an interesting way of working. And if you had been still working and still running your company and still doing all that stuff, when this diagnosis hit, I can imagine it would have been, I don't, I don't even want to imagine what it would have been right on that level. Yeah. I laughed. I literally, I mean, I literally was in my car laughing, going God, higher power. I have spent what 39 years trying to off myself, like <laughs> exactly. literally, literally thinking how I could die and that I'd never make 40. I make 40 and 41, I get diagnosed with breast cancer. Now I have to fight for my life. And yeah. I was literally like, this is the funniest joke ever. I'm yeah. like, what a sense of humor my higher power has. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, it was like, it, it's a life changer, uh, you know, a hundred percent. Your room for bullshit just totally goes out the window. Exactly. Uh, in terms of that, you know, um, the, it was, you know, it, it was a game changer in a lot of ways, but it's also, again, goes back to, I truly believe everything that I go through is my sole purpose of helping others. And so it was no different with cancer as right. it was it was how do I how do I turn this around and who, who can I help and I have to say that the sisterhood and you know brotherhood of, of breast cancer because men get breast cancer too um it's an incredible group yeah you know, I I'm honored I'm honored to be a part of it um 
I don't regret cancer. Yeah. It sucked going through right, it. Of course, but it's part of you. It's, it's a part of your journey. It's part of your story. It's a chapter. You can't just negate it. No, no, I can't. And there's, you know, there was a lot, there was, I gained a lot and I also lost a lot, right. you know, because when you go through cancer, you know, I still haven't had children and, you know, there were really quick decisions I had to make. Yeah. Um, and, um, and even with my business, it was, you know, I still had two athletes and one, you know, I totally understood. I went to both of them when I got diagnosed and said, listen, I'm going to be going through treatment and we got the Olympics coming up again. <laughs> um, yeah. so, um, one, one, you know, we parted ways and it was totally fine. And one stayed with me and I, that was Danny Davis. And I love Danny, you know, through and through and his mother, Laura, they're just incredible human beings. And, um, you know, even that after I went through cancer, I really had to look at, you know, do I even want to be doing sports management anymore? Right. And my heart was no longer in it. Um, the hard part about going through cancer too, is your brain, my brain, though I had chemo brain, which was foggy and forgetfulness, my brain was still working. Like I still wanted to be present in at X games and doing the events and being with Danny. And I had all these business ideas and working on yeah. them. My body wasn't allowing me to do it because I was so nauseous. Mm-hmm. So it was the first time that I had to take care of myself. Like it was right. a non-negotiable that yeah. self-care come first. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely redefined how I looked at my life and my business life and my relationships, both personally and professionally. Which I think, you know, thank goodness, because now the world has you in a different, in a different manner, right? Because currently, you know, you're, you're coaching folks, you're consulting, you're, you know, a brand storyteller and you're bringing, I feel like all of the amazing things that you've learned over, you know, the 40 plus years of your career you know, in life to the table, which I imagine that allows you to kind of show up as your whole self at this point and not just like a glimpse of the genius that you brought to the sport, sports management industry. Now it's like, all of you, which I can imagine is a force to be fucking reckoned with. That's all <laughs> it totally is. You know, <laughs> one of the things I loved as my business, when I owned Mosaic and, and all of that was I loved building brands, my athlete brands. And I always yeah. looked at people because I didn't believe in being one dimensional in terms of, oh, just signing athletes who just did well in their sport. I wanted to know if I could build an entertainment property around them, if I can build an event property around them, if I could if they were entrepreneurial and wanted to create a company. So I was really involved in, you know, either creating this stuff with my athletes or doing it with them. So that's where, you know, it was such a natural transition for me when I decided to leave sports management fully and say, you know what, thank you. 20 years of sports. I love you. And, you know, but I'm done being an agent. And now I want to go, you know, take when I built athlete brands and build, you know, help people in business build brands. And so I've always loved marketing. I've always loved brand building. Um, I've always been, I guess, a teacher of sorts, you know, uh, mentor, guide. Um, So I just dove into that, um, taking all those skill sets and just pouring it into business owners and, you know, people in business and people who want personal brands. And, you know, I just have been, having such a great time in this exploration phase of, you know, consulting with small business owners um, or coaching people in business. Um, It's all been by default, but it's been, it's been really fun. And like you said, it's like, I get to use all of me in this. 
Um, and I also have this massive network. So it's been really fun to be able to help my clients by connecting them with my network and right. being the number one cheerleader, but also giving them, teaching them the tools and how to use the tools, yeah. um, you know, to build their business and, you know, just create more business success and more personal fulfillment. Right. Which I think both of those go hand in hand. And you see oftentimes entrepreneurs and, and small business owners, you do one, but you negate the other, you know, or vice versa. Or you, I always say, you always forget, like you either get the money, you know, the, the money freedom, but you forget about the time freedom, you know, right. all of the, the whole package of entrepreneurship, you know, you tend to, you tend to forget about a piece. So I think, you know, you have a unique set of skills coming to the table in the situations that you've gone through where you can really presence people and say, no, you need both. You know, it's, and I say the same thing, like when people are saying, are you a business coach or a life coach? And for me, I'm like, eh, they kind of go together, but okay, we'll say business. Like, you know, you can't, you can't just look at one in a silo because um, we're people and we're not made up to be kind of compartmentalized for a long period of time. I think you can do it for, at a micro, but it doesn't, eventually it'll crack. Absolutely. I mean, it's really funny. Right now, I work with two wealth managers who have been in business for 20 years. They deal with high net worth individuals. Um, you know, they're pretty huge clients. And it's really interesting how people that, you know, have been in business for a long time, you plateau and joy kind of goes out the window, right? Because mm -hmm. you get this yeah. cycle, right? Like family, kids, work you know, and this whole thing of working, they work in their business, but they don't work on their business. On their business, yes. And lost kind of like an excitement. So those are some of my favorite clients to work with because, you know, you, I always say like, once you try something and you see it work and you feel it work and you see a positive result for it, it's like addiction, yeah. right? You want yeah. more of it, but it takes pulling that out and working with them and, um, you know, helping them kind of go through that process. And so it's really fun. And, um, you know, again, like I've been rereading Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Mm -hmm. I'm a dork when it comes to books and been rereading that. And just because the whole why thing, I think is so yeah. important of, you know, how we connect with people and um, how people want to be aligned with brands that share the same values and um, aspirations. And so it's, it's fun helping my business owners and people in business, you know, understand that and define, redefine their why or define their why. Yeah. I just, I love that. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I think in the years to come, especially with the younger generations, they don't want to just do businesses to do businesses. Like they want to do it with a strong fucking why behind it. And they want to do it, you know, and they want to align themselves with other things that have that as well, which I can't wait to see kind of that generation of business owners come up. I think it's, I think it's going to be amazing. Um, so I mean, we could talk for like another, like two hours. Cause I know that you and I could, <laughs> but if we could, you know, if you could just kind of leave like one thing for, you know, and I know that's hard cause you've got a lot of tools, but, um, you know, for the, for the entrepreneurs, for the people who are kind of feeling that like personal and professional, like disconnect, you know, I've got mask on here and everything looks rosy, but I'm dying inside kind of, kind of feeling, you know, what is, you know, your, your top kind of thing that you would say to them right now? Cause I know they're out there listening. Sure. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, we touched on it earlier, which is, you know, really look at your stories that you tell yourself and the ones that you've held on to that define you and really figure out if it's true, like truly yeah. true. And if it's your shit or someone else's shit that was put on you. Exactly. Right? Yep. That's huge. Um, and I also think, 
you know, have just unapologetic confidence and yeah. just, you know, keep going. I always say my, my tagline for everybody is, I, or what I always say is I love you. Keep going exactly. because there are more people than, you know, that love you and support you and have your back and what you are pursuing is 99.9% worth pursuing. So keep going. Yes. You know, no's just no for now. Who cares? I always say next. It's kind of like with dating. I'm like, oh, you weren't the right guy. Next. Next. Thing in yep. business. You know, keep going. Cause I just, if you're passionate about it and you believe in it, then just go. Yeah. And I think you do a disservice to the world if you if you stop prematurely. Right. I always feel like that sometimes too. And I see such amazing people who I think it's because like you said, there, there are a lot more people around you that believe in you than maybe the voices in your head or the stories in your head are telling you. Um, so that's where that speak in facts, or is it true? Or really, you know, asking somebody, um, comes in handy. And I think, you know, just to add on to that a little bit too, just because you are ridiculously intelligent and business savvy and really good at that stuff does not mean that you are weak if you ask for help because as human beings, we are communal beings. Like you, there is something that you are not, you know, is not in your zone of genius or where you need help or whatever, where there's somebody else who can, who can step in and actually help you. So, you know, thank you. Thank you for this entire conversation. I think it's, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of our folks. And I know I always appreciate hearing you talk. Um, so tell folks where they can find you. And if you have any promotions coming up or any, any way that they can, you know, hear some more about you. Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, even TikTok and LinkedIn um, at suizzo.com. That's I-Z-Z-O or at suizzo and suizzo.com is my website. Um, I do one-on-one coaching. I call it manoaching because it's mentoring and coaching together. I love it. Um, yeah. And I also uh, consult with small business owners and entrepreneurs um, on a one-on-one basis. And I will be launching a small business bootcamp, um, in towards the end of January, 2021. And there'll be information on my website about that. And that's, you know, I just peeled back the curtain and just, again, it's all about giving you guys the tools and the accountability and the confidence to continue to create your dreams. Wonderful. Wonderful. And Sue, I love you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You are one hell of a courageous person, not to mention a super smart one at that too. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, girlfriend, thank you so much. It's so much fun. Okay. So there was a lot of territory covered in this episode. And I have to say that Sue, Sue and I have become, you know, fast friends. She is everything that she hear in this episode, genuine, brilliant, and she's walked through the fire and has truly come out a more authentic version of herself and is now leveraging all of those collective skills that she's learned over the years to, you know, show up in a way that she feels good about so that she can, you know, show up at the table every day with unapologetic confidence. And everybody, I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you, especially as you step foot into 2021, is to show up with that unapologetic confidence, right? Where you're not saying, oh, maybe I'm sorry for making me ask, or, oh, you know, I don't want to inconvenience you or, oh, this, fuck that part of my French, you know, take a stand, you know, step into your power and just be unapologetically confident and imagine what that can do for your income making potential in 2021. 
All right. And on next week's episode, I am speaking to the tenacious, the vibrant, the bold Amanda Hamilton. Amanda is an award-winning entrepreneur. You know, she's got a list of my long of awards and she's an interior designer from Canada. And she is going to speak to us all about recession proofing your business, which I think is a pretty relevant topic at this moment. Don't you? And just a reminder to also visit createhonesty.com slash jumpstart if you would like to know more about my kick-ass program that I'm launching in January to help you jumpstart your business and your revenue. And as always, if you love this podcast, don't forget to download, subscribe, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.